Now entering Nerdist.com. Mission Log Supplemental, number five. Another one with Rod Roddenberry. All right, welcome everybody to yet another supplemental episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. It's yet another one with Rod Roddenberry. You just can't say no to the guy. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Am I in this episode? <laughs> oh, <laughs> are you in the? Well, you're in this episode. Uh, you're, not, you're not in the interview. No, I'm not in the interview. Um, no, no, we we, we kind of had to knock that one out. Yeah, um, de- defining uh, tragedy of 2013 so far, and yeah. you know, as we record this, the year is young. Yes, <laughs> let's hope <laughs> that this is as bad as it gets. Um. So at MacWorld, we were all supposed to hang out at MacWorld. That would have been great. 2013. Would have been fun. Would have been awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for me, it would have been especially awesome for a couple of reasons. First of all, I used to live in San Francisco. Mm. And when I left San Francisco, the one consolation that I gave myself or the one consolation that I you know, sort of told myself and my friends is I'll be back every year for MacWorld. Oh. Uh-oh. And for the first f- four years that I mm-hmm. left, I, I, I had been – but uh, future historians, you may have heard in uh, 2012, 2013, of the awful flu season that we had. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I actually, I was not that bad compared to a lot of people. But um, yeah, travel would just have been a stupid idea. And I would have gotten to San Francisco and I would have had no fun. And I probably wouldn't have even made it to Macworld every day. Yeah, well, so, I mean, thank you for not traveling with it, and thank you for not bringing it to us. Yeah, and thanks for doing a show without me. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Okay, Rod Thanks said, for drinking with my friends at my <laughs> convention and doing a show without me. No, really, that's great. <laughs> You're very welcome. Yeah. Um, isn't it? You know, I think before we even did City on the Edge of Forever or Devil in the Dark – Rod told both of us, I really, really want to talk about these. And we're like, hey, too bad. You can't be on the main show. (laughs) Uh, But but as a matter of convenience, when we were in San Francisco one morning, we could just turn on a mic and uh, and just do a little impromptu chat about it. And uh, it it was a blast. You'll have to do it sometime. So I'm pleased to welcome back to the show our co-producer, executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Um, do I even have a title? I don't think do I Do you? I don't, you get to make your own up. I think, yeah. I, yeah. Think, I think since we're not really a legitimate big business, <laughs> right. I, we, we can be, I can be supreme cool. You're gonna commander be of podcasting mission law. The all-being master of space-time and dimension. Okay. Or, or peasant thief okay. podcaster. <laughs> Sounds or, good. I, yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll get a new business card. We'll figure Excellent. it out. Excellent. All right. I like that idea. Um, We've done a couple of milestone episodes. I mean, the thing that constantly amazes me about season one of the original series is that it started good, and it just kept getting great. There, there are a couple of clunkers in there, yeah. Um, but compared to a lot of shows uh, nowadays, you know, they'll start kind of weak, and, and hopefully they find an audience. But a lot of shows are just gone before they even reach the end of their first season because they they don't catch. And Star Trek started out really strong, and it it kept presenting enticing stories week after week. And we can even kind of forgive some of the ones, <coughs> Mary. <laughs> um, <laughs> alternative factor. Alternative factor. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but there were two that came up that were such milestone episodes that you said, I really want to talk about these with you. Um, and those were The Devil in the Dark and The City on the Edge of Forever. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. So why, why is that? Well, you know, <clears throat> I didn't grow up watching Star Trek like a lot of people did. Mm-hmm. Um, I, in fact, I didn't grow up watching Star Trek. I watched other things, as people have heard me say many, many times. But, mm-hmm. but over the years, I did end up seeing all of Star Trek, but I never followed it as a fan. Yeah. And there were some episodes that did stick with me. And they, you know, specifically the, the, the two that you just mentioned. Um, but, but I always found it interesting to, to talk to people and they say Star Trek really inspired me and, you know, has really uh, impacted my life in a positive way. Mm-hmm. I've never gone back until now and critically looked at episodes. Right. You know, like what you guys are doing. Right. And um, a, a little off topic, I'm mm-hmm. actually a little bit surprised that 
there have been a lot of episodes. It's it's been an evolution for me and you guys. But mm-hmm. as you guys mm-hmm. have gone back and we've looked at it, and I've I've thought about each episode, saying, "Is there a message?" Yeah, you know, yeah. I, this this podcast has slowly been evolving. So I think initially, at least in my mind, we were looking for a message in quotes. I'm doing air quotes. Right, right. Um, but then as I started watching episodes. Uh, I realized, and you guys pointed out, they don't always have a, as you guys say, you see Timmy. Right. There's not always right. a clear, defined message. Yeah. And so as I'd watch these episodes, I'd realize that there's other things in them that make them significant. Yeah. It's not necessarily the message. It's yeah. the, the, the the fact that they're considering a different point of view. Right. Or or I love the episodes that make me think, man, that's a tough decision. What what would I do in that, that situation? And, yeah, yeah. and you know, Devil in the Dark and, and, of course, City on the Edge are two episodes that really put me in that position. And I think I, I get excited by um, someone sort of challenging me to think in a way that I'm not used to thinking. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's mm-hmm. frustrating. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. It's just a, a wave of emotions. And that's, I think that's the beauty of Star Trek. Yeah. Um, that's always been it, is that it makes you consider another point of view. As, as long as you're open-minded. I mean, I figure right. people who like Star Trek and watch Star Trek, they they have to be open-minded. Because right. if you're stuck in your ways, you're not necessarily going to find value in the show. Mm-hmm. So anyhow, um, yes, Devil in the Dark and uh, City <laughs> on the Edge are yeah. two that, that don't necessarily... Well, I guess... Devil in the Dark does, but don't necessarily have a, a clear message, but they always make me think, what would I do in that situation? Right. And then it shocks me what I might do in that situation when I think it through. Should we just jump ahead to City on the Edge forever? Because I, <laughs> I guess I think that's really what we're looking yeah, at here. I mean, it is. Um, and, and, you know, I, I was thinking about, the, here, here are two landmark episodes that really kind of um, uh, approach a situation from opposite angles. Devil in the Dark... Um, the priority of Kirk, the priority of his crew, is to do everything possible to help this single creature, which is totally destructive as far as as far as we've seen. So well, initially far. it's to get rid of the creature. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean they they go down to kill it. Yeah, and and uh, yeah, and, which, and and the miners are are hopefully you know they they are planning to kill it as well. They yeah. just don't which, by the way, I've got to say that as I've and I'm sorry to interrupt, mm-hmm. but as no, I've no. been watching these episodes with you, I've been surprised how many times. Sort of the first response yeah. is to eliminate the issue, right? Or to kill, right? And Spock, in particular, I, I can't remember. There's like the second or third episode. He's the enforcer. Uh, yeah, he's yeah, just like, yeah. yeah, we're just gonna have to kill him. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a second. Yeah, yeah. He's the advanced, logical one, right? <laughs> Isn't he the one that's looking at things and saying? Maybe we should look at the other point of view or the other side of it. Anyhow, right. I've always found that to be Which is a, a funny contrast to what Spock says in City on the Edge, because uh, Kirk says peace was the way. Spock says, yes, she was right, but at the wrong time. Yeah. As far as Spock is concerned, when he logically decides it's time to kill something, then it's time to kill something. Yeah. Like, guys, Gary, like Gary Mitchell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You guys made a good point. He's, he's a bit cold, but he does look at it logically and will do what needs to be done. To, to write things, and even when I say the word write things, right. who's to say what's right or wrong? But anyhow. Well, well that, that's exactly it. That, that's the complicating yeah. factor there. And, and that's the fun. It, it when, is. when your head it starts is. spinning yeah. and you're like, yeah. oh my God, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, well, it, with Devil in the Dark, it's a bit more clear cut because mm-hmm. we're, we're saying, okay, we, we learn the compassion for the creature. And I, who knows? You know, if we hadn't gotten to that point where we understood that this is a creature with an emotional life that had eggs mm-hmm. that, that she was protecting, well, if we hadn't just sort of stumbled upon that fact, then they still may have, well, gone ahead with the uh, the plan of killing the creature. You, you know, you're just making me think of something. This is okay. good. Uh, All right. good. <laughs> this this yeah. happens every now and then. <laughs> it does, me. yeah. Um, I was thinking how shocked I was that, that Spock and, and the Enterprise and the, and the crew are always quick to sort of solve the problem by eliminating the threat. Mm-hmm. And I was criticizing it in my mind as to why weren't they that better humanity already? Why weren't they the ones who instantly came down to the planet and said, okay, let's consider all the options. Maybe we're doing something wrong. Right. My, that was my initial right. criticism. However, maybe the success of Star Trek is, or at least this episode, mm-hmm. is that you as the viewer are going on the same journey and learning right. to... to look at things from another situation. Right. If we had a crew that was, you know, all utopian and came down and made the right decision right away, it'd probably be a boring show, right? Right. All right. Well, right. okay. All right. So, I like that. 
So, uh, um, well, you structurally, know, it, they that that makes sense. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I'll go back to what you said about how there's not always a you see Timmy moment, and it's very hard. I, I think we'll get there as we go through season two and then season three, um, and particularly in the later series. But it, it's kind of hard to uh, look at season one and just say, okay, here's a list of everything that we're going to say is the Star Trek philosophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the, the show just jump around quite a bit. Yeah. And there are episodes where it's just sort of a character study or uh, an ethical dilemma to consider. Something like that. But I think one thing that I see over and over again is what you just mentioned, and that is the learning aspect. I think that's really cool because it, at least with the original series, you're not saying man is perfect you're not saying that we've figured it all out. You're saying that we're out here in this wild frontier and we have to learn and we have to behave in a way that we want to represent ourselves. Corporate Maneuver is a great example of that. Uh, Devil in the Dark is a great example of that, that we're constantly presented with opportunities uh-huh. to display the better parts of our nature. Uh-huh. Um, and and then that's where you see the, the, the sort of moral guideposts right. within Star right. Trek. Yeah, I, I don't. Uh, I, I guess we shouldn't necessarily go there, but it's really interesting because I was just mm-hmm. thinking of Next Generation mm-hmm. and how that almost was a better humanity in a way. Yeah. Not that they didn't learn and not that they had all the answers, but I feel like the difference between that crew and this crew, you know, was you know, and I've heard people say this. It's really the difference between my father, yeah, uh, you know, twenty five years earlier and, and twenty five years later, right? Um, right. As as a maturing individual um, yeah. his views on life in the world evolved changed and he did learn yeah. so uh, anyhow that's a yeah. that's a discussion for maybe uh, a little we'll bit down there yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. so sitting on the edge of forever mm-hmm. um, the, the the thing that i think this keeps coming back to and and you and i have had this discussion a lot the thing about star trek that constantly fascinates or challenges you and both of us and i think most of our listeners here is the what would you do mm-hmm. situation I love it. And we're presented with the ultimate what-would-you-do situation. And mm-hmm. we're presented with the ultimate uh, expression of that triumvirate of mm-hmm. uh, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Um, Spock completely approaching the problem logically. McCoy completely approaching the problem compassionately, mm-hmm. emotionally. And Kirk thrown right in the middle as the decision-maker. Yeah. Um, the the, the superego to their ego and id. Uh, well, and you're wearing the shirt. You're wearing the Pathos Ethos Logos shirt. Yes. Yeah, couldn't be expressed better. Available uh, at Mission Log. <laughs> right. uh, uh, yeah. 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 So um, you are meant to put yourself in that situation. I think mm-hmm. a little bit, you know, um, and, and ask yourself, wow, what, what would I do? Right. And I, yeah. I can't necessarily empathize 100% with mm-hmm. Kirk because, you know, he's now fallen in love with her. And, and yeah. uh, I can't really get into that position. But the, the logic... Um, maybe I'm using the word logic wrong, but the logic of how he has to approach it and the mm-hmm. decision he has to make is is wonderful, and I love putting myself in other extreme situations. You know, mm-hmm. Star Trek, there was a lot of critical thinking, and I say you've right. got to have an open mind, and you've got to be willing to take it that next step in mm-hmm. your own head and and consider what would you do in other situations that are like that. And one that I love to bring up that, you know, is always sort of like a, a, a red flag, and I'm sure if I had a publicist, they'd say, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. Like, <laughs> You know, if you had the chance to go back and kill Hitler. Right. You know, that's... Right. I know many people have talked about that. Or kill anyone bad in our past. Yeah. Or, or save someone good. Or or know? save someone good. You know, I haven't actually considered that. Um, I, I think I read something, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, or maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't, but I think I read something about um, your okay. father... Okay. Experimenting with scripts, maybe even going to the motion picture era, about the Enterprise crew goes back and they save Kennedy from being assassinated. I've never heard that. Really? I'll, I'll look it up. I've never heard Maybe that. one of our listeners can send us the, yeah, uh, yeah. the, the notes on that. For some yeah. reason, that, that sounds okay to me, although I yeah. haven't taken it all those steps. But the, the killing Hitler is, would you mm. do it? You know? Right. And, and you know, <laughs> by no means do I support <laughs> right. anything right. Hitlerish, but... Uh, I don't know if I would because I think we are who we are today because of, of all the mistakes we've made. Now, you right. might argue that's a good thing or a bad thing. Right. And the reason why I say I wouldn't, mm-hmm. just just to clarify here, mm-hmm. it's not that I, I like the guy or believed in anything that he or his vision had. Of However, course, course. I, I'm just I'm saying once we do that, if we go back and start uh, killing all or removing all the bad things, taking all the bad things out of our history, mm-hmm. we are going to end up in a cave 
Yeah. You know, we will still be cavemen. Yeah. Um, we will not grow in advance. So it's not, I don't focus in on the Hitler part of it. It's just that once we go back and start righting our wrongs, I, I think you're getting we are back. not going to grow. We are not going to evolve. <laughs> I, I think you're dangerously close to this idea of uh, happiness versus challenge. Uh, <laughs> well, yes, yes, yes. Side of paradise. Yeah. Um, Without... Yeah. Uh, Without dark, there can be no light, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I love that kind of thinking. Mm-hmm. I, I really do. It's uh, it's fun to do, and it, it challenges me. It really does. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you try to put yourself in that position, and you, well, if you had the opportunity to change history, would you? The problem is you have the blinders on because all you know is the history that you've experienced. Right. All you know right. is the world that you have. Removing Hitler from power could have been a great thing, and we could be a better species today from doing it. By all means, I think that's very likely. Right. I was just saying, like, you know, if you start doing too much of that, it's definitely going to have a detrimental effect. You know, this may be going too far down the, uh, to an outside discussion here, but it's funny because we're we're at Macworld. We're Mm -hmm, recording mm -hmm. this in a hotel right now at Macworld, and you're a Mac geek. And Ken's not here. We we miss Ken. We do. We do. And I apologize for the scratchy voice (laughs) after a weekend-long convention. Um, But do you remember, oh, in the mid to late 90s, there was uh, an a computer game for the Mac called Titanic Adventure Out of Time. No. It was really cool because you it was a 3D rendering of the Titanic. You oh, were, is this one of those games that came on like 10 CDs or something? It was on like two or three, but it, yeah. it was really it was really really well done. You would wander this 3D version of the ship, you would interact with characters and you were in the position of a spy mm-hmm. and you had to rescue a you know, rescue woman, save the uh, the valuable jewels and all this stuff. And the great, the great idea in the game was that by the time you got to the end of the game, depending on how you played it, you would change history. Mm. One of the things that happened is if you had the best of all outcomes, um, your actions in 1912 on the Titanic would then change the history of uh, war, and, and I think you actually end up avoiding World War One. Mm. Um, one outcome was good, and in fact, it was like the utopian ideal where right. where science continues to advance and this sort of you know Edwardian sense of adventure flourishes. But then the others are horrible outcomes where like all the spies win, Germany wins World War One. They continue on to world domination, and you know, yeah. So, that's 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 actually a lot of fun. I don't remember yeah. that. I'd, I'd love to play that. It was a cool game. I don't think you can anymore because it's on <laughs> OS eight. <Right. laughs> but. Um, but yeah, it's stuff like that. that. That's part of my fascination with time travel stories anyway. And that's one of the reasons that I, again, really like and really respond to City on the Edge of Forever. Yeah. Because let's say that in in another alternate history, Kirk goes back. They're unsuccessful with their mission. But yet he still knows what's to come. So maybe Edith Keeler lives, but maybe through some other circumstance, he's either able to encourage entry into World War II or make sure that Hitler is overthrown. I mean, it, you can go down any road sure. with this, sure. any road possible. But um, the beauty of this story is taking a big science fiction theme, a big science fiction idea, and making it totally personal. Yeah. That's why I think we love this story. Um, I, I remember... Uh, well, and putting the weight, mm-hmm. the weight of the future, the weight of everything that, that is... About to happen, putting the yeah. weight of, of Starfleet because you know Starfleet yeah. kind of disappeared, or at it least doesn't exist. Well, yeah. or at least the ship wasn't there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but putting that all on one person's decision and having them make the ultimate sacrifice—that's. Yeah. Uh, but 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 it, it is personal though. I mean, because it, yeah, it, yeah. I, I, years ago I shot an interview with uh, Brandon Braga, and um, he, he was asked, uh, Mary the Televixen asked him. Um, do you think Star Trek is at its best when it is political or doing a social commentary? And he said, no, Star Trek is at its best when it's personal, when, when it's emotional, and it's about characters. And I agree with that, mm-hmm. but I also think the beauty of Star Trek is being able to extrapolate that to the big themes, the big questions. Absolutely. Politics and, and uh, uh, questions about our place in society and, and religion and, and all of these things. It, it might get a little mundane and too much like you're beating the audience over the head if mm-hmm. if, it, if it weren't personal with the characters. Mm-hmm. Because, you mm-hmm. know, I think a lot of us have formed it, uh, a bond with these characters and we care and we want them to succeed. So. Would you be able to do what Kirk did? 
given the same information? I mean, how yeah, how do you even answer that? You know, I'd like to say, of course, yeah, but yeah. you know. <laughs> I, I, now it's getting personal for me. I know. The minute you just asked that, uh-huh. I now just thought of something of someone very personal, of someone who I love in my life. I, I, see, and I'm and doing would the I, same thing. Would yeah. I? Are yeah. you kidding me? Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you start. I, know. I can't even. I can't even think about it that you yeah. said that. You know. Yeah. Uh, Jesus. <sighs> Whoa. I know. I just blew your mind. You did. But, but, you but did. here's the thing, and and I. It's the ultimate sacrifice. It, it is, and I think one of the reasons that I, I get emotional watching that show I get choked up I, I'm very different now in my life than I was the first time I saw this episode when I was you know eight or, yeah. or, or yeah. whatever you know and and when you're six or seven or eight and you watch it and go wow this is cool time travel science fiction and now I'm a very different person and I go wow there is somebody in my life that I care deeply for I could not imagine being in that position you, you really did just blow my mind because I was mm-hmm. able to stay uh, uh Distant, yeah, from the show, and it's a show, and there's this character, Captain Kirk, and he falls yeah. in love, and he has to make the ultimate sacrifice uh-huh. from a distance. Yeah, easy answer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but to be honest, um, you you blew my mind. Yeah. I, I I did not take it that step to where I thought of someone in my life. Yeah, that I love. Yeah, and would I do it after watching this episode that, two or three times? I that's uh, you know again I. I, I Part of the reason is that the acting is really good, and you believe the relationship. You believe that Edith Keeler is somebody that Kirk could fall in love with, mm-hmm. because she has all these wonderful qualities, and, and she's beautiful, and she's smart, and she's inspiring. This is an easy person to fall in love with, and you believe their relationship. And it hurts that much more at the mm-hmm. end. Mm-hmm. You know? It's crazy. It's, it's the... It's, mm-hmm. there's, your your kids are in a burning building and you can only say I mean those yeah. kinds of things right that, like, right 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 yeah uh, all right well all right I just brought us down I'm sorry yeah so everyone out there listening you know go ahead and put that into your life and, yeah you know, yeah I, I don't even know if I'd want you guys to call in with your answers no because no, that that would no. be uh, that's that's going to be a tough one yeah. anyhow great um, exercises in critical thinking yeah I mean they really are yeah they really are wow yeah how do we recover from that. <sighs> I, yeah, I had a couple other topics, but I don't know how to introduce them. Right, um, right. One of the most important things in Star Trek, I found, is is the empathy that the characters have or find for the people and the life forms and the things around them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've always thought empathy is an important thing. It's it's For me, it's considering the other point of view, but doing it with your heart. Yeah. Um, and uh, sort of as we were just saying, I, I was sort of able to do that with uh, uh, Kirk and Edith, mm-hmm. yet uh, making that transition to the personal was mm-hmm. really, really <laughs> kind of a smack in the face. Yeah. Um, but empathy, I think, is, is critical. If we all had you know, a lot more empathy for the people around us and were willing to consider alternate points of view, I think we'd be in a better world. You know what's so interesting about doing this show? Um, I mean, you and I, well, you, you did as a PA when you were like 15, but you know, for all intents, you and I never worked on Star Trek and you have this interesting, uh, uh, relationship with Star Trek fans because of your family. And you hear this all the time with people saying, Oh, you know, Star Trek really changed my life and, and, and various things. And now just peripherally from doing mission log, I start to hear that too, because people will say, Oh, I listened to your show let me tell you my story of what ha- and this just happened last night and I'm not going to spoil it here because I want to come back to the story months from now when mm-hmm. we're talking about a particular episode um, but to hear people tell me oh yeah when I was growing up um, y- y- my family was this way or I held on to these particular beliefs and then something in Star Trek totally changed that and it completely right. opened up my eyes to a different way of thinking and you know, I'd always heard these stories peripherally, uh-huh. actors on a stage saying that this is what happened. And now I'm actually hearing from these people saying this for real. And it's like, oh, wow, uh-huh. this isn't just lip service anymore. <laughs> yeah, know? no, no. People are really affected by this. I- I'm <laughs> glad you're getting those stories. It's, yeah, it's yeah. been very inspiring. And, and mm-hmm. you know, that's what's given me this pride in my father and mm-hmm. pride in the Roddenberry name. Um, certainly not taking credit for it, but yeah, yeah. but what I what yeah. I tell people is I'm doing what I can in my own way to carry on that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, hearing these stories for the last twenty years, 
um, has changed my life. Yeah. You know, to be a yeah. part of something that's so spectac- spectacular. No disrespect to Star Wars. I grew up watching Star Wars. Yeah, as did I. But they're yeah, completely yeah. different animals. I know that's yeah. stating the obvious, but, you know, Star Wars is a wonderful, fun fantasy adventure. Mm-hmm. And it's, I love it. Mm-hmm. Star Trek changes lives. Yeah. Uh, it, not everyone's. Yeah. And it doesn't yeah, speak yeah, to yeah. everyone. Right. But to have those people come up to you. And yeah. I, I got to say, I'm, I'm really proud of what uh, you and Ken have been doing. I mean, the, yeah. the way you guys have been breaking down episodes and considering these these different ideas and unique points of view and, and putting the questions out there. Um, it, I, I believe that, that what you guys are doing are reintroducing people to different points of view. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's going to be people who think differently and and are better off for it because of what you guys are doing. I, I appreciate that because I, I like you mentioned earlier in this recording. In fact, I am because oh, you good. guys. Sorry good. to interrupt, but yeah, you, yeah. you guys have mentioned points of view that I'd never mm-hmm. thought of, and that mm-hmm. has expanded my mind a bit. No, you just did it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, th- yeah. Th- I love this. Sorry. Well, I, I think what's cool is that you know we're we're in. TOS season one, mm-hmm. and and like we've said, it, it's an anthology show. You kind of jump in and out of stories, and um, sometimes there's a message, sometimes there isn't. This challenge of what we're doing is just going to get more and more intense as the years go yeah. on, because mm-hmm. we will be presented with even more challenging points of view. Yeah. Um, and, and I really look forward to that kind of that debate, that exchange of ideas, challenging each other. I think that's what's really cool about it. And um, not to toot our own horn, but I I like when you and I and Ken get to do that together, whether it's just sending messages back and forth or discussing a show after we've done the show. You know, Um, that's really cool. Yeah. And and I think it's strange. We're going to see it a lot more in Next Generation because I think my father was willing to take some more risks. It was was also a little bit more uh, subtle. I think yeah. to some degree because it was a lot more of a diplomatic show and, and mm-hmm. Picard is not the first one to throw the punch necessarily right. like Kirk might be. Right. Um, but I, I think there are some bigger questions in there that really kind of excited me, whether it's uh, drugs or prostitution yeah, or, yeah. Or, or whatever the case is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I think my father was always extremely reserved mm-hmm. in these shows, partially because he could only get away with so much in terms yeah. of censorship. Yeah. Um, but also because, you know, he was out there. Yeah. And I mean, I think there's a lot of big thinkers and great thinkers who are out there who are looking at controversial topics today mm-hmm. and saying, you know, I think in 50 years or 100 years, we're going to think we were a bunch of dumbasses yeah. for thinking the way we do now. Right. You know? Right. Um, you know, there, there are enough current day kind of political debates. You And it, please, no letters. But it, <laughs> because we, we're not going down this discussion about gay marriage, right or wrong, mm-hmm, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, one of the things that you hear in that argument all the time is which side of history will you be on? Right. You know, um, whether or not you believe in it, um, this is one of those things where you look at uh, one movement, you know, the civil rights movement of the 60s, of Star Trek's original era, and, and a new kind of socially driven, people driven movement. Mm-hmm. And, and you really have to wonder, well, where will we be with this debate 20 years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now? Yeah, you're bringing this up, and it makes me mm. want to talk about it. And I, I, we won't necessarily. <laughs> well, we're going to get to that yeah, because will, that stuff will. will come up later in the show. I, I want to go back to something you yeah, mentioned yeah. earlier, which is empathy. Yes. Um, there is a great line uh, from the making of Star Trek, and I apologize because I don't have it here. That's Stephen Whitfield's book. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, we mentioned this in a panel in Vegas last year, and hopefully we'll do it again sometime. Um, where your father is quoted talking specifically about the Horda, specifically about Devil in the Dark, and he says, really, this is what Star Trek is all about. Um, And there are a lot of statements you could say, this is what Star Trek is all about, but this is one of them anyway. Um, And and I'm paraphrasing, but he says that if you can learn to feel sympathy for a Horda, then maybe you can also feel sympathy for someone else in your life. With with an opposing or contrasting point of view. Exactly. Whether it's somebody who's not your race or not your religious belief. or Maybe you can form an understanding. Mm -hmm. Because now we've shown you in this totally fictionalized TV show the idea of being sympathetic based on a a commonly understood emotion, protection of children, um, something that otherwise is deadly, is dangerous, is ugly by our account. Can I, can I throw out there, you're using the word yeah. sympathetic. And, mm-hmm. and to me, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know their definitions word by word from mm-hmm. the dictionary, but I, there, for me, there's a big difference, and I think you'd agree between oh. sympathetic and, uh, and empathetic. empathetic. Yeah, and, I'm, and I'm sympathy using for me them, is oh, uh, poor baby, yeah, poor thing. I feel sorry for. I, that. I feel sorry yeah, for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. I don't feel what you feel, and I, I, I don't connect to what that is. But yeah, you yeah. know what? I can see you crying. That's right. that's sad. I, I can understand. Yeah. Empathy. You're right. You're right. Empathy is more of. Uh, putting yourself in that person's shoes, feeling what that other person feels. Yeah. You're absolutely Which is right. yeah. important to me, uh, very yeah, important yeah, to me. Yeah. It's a huge challenge. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah. Yeah. Now, another thing that keeps coming up in our, particularly in our later uh, episodes of the original series, when you finally introduce the idea of the Prime Directive, the very episode where you introduce the term Prime Directive, we just wad it up and throw it away. Yeah. Um, and yet, the the Prime Directive is one of those things that net, once we've introduced it, it is pervasive throughout all of Star Trek. And, and, it, and it goes back to what we were just talking about, because uh-huh. I, I agree with it. You know, don't mess with the natural evolution, mm-hmm. and I don't just mean physical, you know, yeah, the yeah, intellectual yeah. and physical evolution of, of, uh, of a species. Mm-hmm. Um, although, it's hard, because now I turn that on us in Earth, and of course, we're factoring the, uh, we're affecting the, the, uh, natural evolution of every species on yeah, it. Well, but, sure, yeah. but I guess yeah. in terms of Star Trek, yeah. um, I've always loved that discussion. Uh, because there was a particular episode, we did an interview with uh, Ron Moore, mm-hmm. the, uh, the executive producer of the latest Battlestar Galactica. And, you know, it, it, he said that there, there was a time towards the end of my father's life, mm-hmm. when he was working at Paramount um, on The Next Generation, where he would come in and he would throw out a script mm-hmm. um, because it was a script where, and he was, this was a hypothetical, but, yeah, yeah. you know, there was a script that said, uh, you know, they came to a planet and, you know, I bring up Hitler again just because, mm-hmm. sure. you know, Hitler was throwing people into ovens. Yeah. And my father would say, no, we will not interfere. You know, right. it goes back to that. Right. You know, and then Ron says, uh, uh, the, the, like the writing staff almost revolted because yeah. Kirk would interfere. Kirk would go down and write that wrong. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And uh, so it, it was. there was a lot of sort of uh, struggle between his views yeah. at that time and what people who came to work on the show were thinking. Because yeah. people were really still thinking the original series. Yeah. And, and that, yeah. that non-interference is kind of out the window when, yeah. when someone is harming someone else. So he, he was much more um, dogmatic yeah. Later on, about what the prime directive was and and what you do with it. Yeah, and and, the, and that we have grown beyond Kirk. Yeah, and we've <laughs> yeah. grown beyond Kirk. Yeah, yeah and, and yeah. it's it was it's again it's another one of those things I love thinking about. Um, and, and this is one of the things, like I said, the later episodes, the later series that we do, where we do have some challenges about that. I'm thinking of an episode of Enterprise where mm-hmm. where we get to explore that with uh, a medical crisis mm-hmm. and then the doctor is in the position of do i help them or not right um those are big questions those are great I yeah mean, that's yeah, just yeah. the best you know yeah. and, and sorry back to the prime directive mm-hmm. I, I gotta say that i guess my thought on the prime directive and i was just kind of considering I, I don't remember which episode mm-hmm. but it's okay to mm-hmm. break the prime directive when if an okay. outside force has already interfered uh, with the natural evolution okay so if, if okay. something has already happened to disturb mm-hmm. the natural evolution of of a life form, yeah, it's okay to come in because it's already it's already branched it down a direction it wouldn't have gone. Right. Well, I don't know. But, I, I, that's a working theory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but see, now you get into this very difficult thing of you know, well, what is better for that life form, that yeah. species, whatever? And, and there, yeah. there is no good answer for that ever we we've been lucky that in the examples of the prime directive and the violation of the prime directive within the confines of this you know 48 minute tv show from the 60s kirk has always made the right decision <laughs> well, you know, we, we've been very lucky about that i don't think we've had an episode that's ended the other way <laughs> no 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 we, and and i don't think we will yeah. <laughs> but um uh at least it's worked out for him because well he's captain kirk mm-hmm. um but this then sets you down that path of thinking, well, okay, but what if it had been a different situation? What if it had been yeah, another yeah. captain? What if they had made a different decision? And it, it, the intellectual exercise there is uh, is really challenging. Yeah. And I'm glad that we'll get to episodes where maybe it's a little more of a gray area. Yeah. What should have been done or could have been done. 
it's funny. You just made me think of an episode. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I listen yeah, to, yeah. not only do I listen to you guys record a lot of the times, right. I, I go back and I, I, I'm a fan. I listen to the episodes right and I listen on. to them again. Yeah. I, I, so many times, but I, was it Return of the Archons where, mm-hmm. where Kirk goes in and destroys the computer oh, and Landry. he's like, yeah, yeah. Yep, you got a lot of work ahead of you and just takes <laughs> off. I love it. <laughs> he does. Yeah, you need to get a new job. Yeah. Like, wow, thanks. Kirk. 5,000 years of this one lifestyle and. He just goes in, yeah. Throw it all away. Anyhow, not to rehash what you guys have already talked about, but that really made me chuckle. It's kind of hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, this has been a pleasure. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, man. We'll uh, we'll do it again, how about? Yeah, yeah. Let's do it sometime, (laughs) huh? Right, we will. All right. Incoming transmission. Hi, guys. This is Jeff from Chicago. And I was just curious um, why you guys only do one episode a week. Uh, I thought the reason might be you guys don't have enough time or want to take it slow. I don't know. But if you hadn't considered doing more than one a week, I think you guys should because I'd love to get to the city on the edge of forever already because I'm a huge fan of time travel stories and I was pretty disappointed with tomorrow was yesterday. So uh, keep up the great work, guys. I really love the show. Uh, Thank you for listening. Bye. Well, Jeff from Chicago, if that is in fact your name, good news for you. You don't have to wait for City for the edge, on the Edge of Forever because uh, we did that a few weeks ago. Where have you been? <laughs> Actually, we probably this, this has probably been sitting in our queue of things to respond to for quite a while. Um, as far as um, why we only do one episode per week, the real question, Jeff, is how much are you paying? Ooh. Is that fair? Yeah, that's very fair. <laughs> <laughs> we love doing this show. There is no question we love doing this show. Yep. Um, I don't know about you, John, but I've got other things I do. Yeah. Yeah. They take, many, many other things. Yeah. yeah. And this episode, I mean, it doesn't just happen, you know. I mean, each episode, well, this episode just happens. <laughs> I don't even have to pay attention and this episode <laughs> happens. Yes, I'm over it mostly, okay? Okay. Um, now, the weekly, uh, you know, mission log, the regular mission log, it, it's, it, it's, a, it's a decent amount of time that goes into each episode. And yeah. to do more than one episode per week would basically mean, you know, having to, um, well, give up other work, which yeah. – you know, th- it'd be great if that was the world we lived in. <laughs> but, I mean, it, Mission Log would be a great full-time job, but it yeah, truly right. would be a full-time job um, yeah. if we were to do more than one a week. Uh, I mean, you and I have talked a little bit about uh, the process here, and we both will watch a show just kind of on its own without really doing much note-taking or anything, just kind of absorb it. And then we go back and watch two or three more times to take all the notes, and then we have to write the summary and and structure our thoughts. And even during a recording, a final episode may be an hour, under an hour, but we'll we'll be recording for usually 90 minutes, and then there's quite a bit of editing that has to go on to clean it up. There is quite a bit of editing that has to go on. (laughs) (laughs) which i mean which and i you know we we divide up the things that we do you know very differently and so i would imagine that we're spending about the same amount of time in the end of it john does a lot i mean like the trivia thing the trivia thing is not you know it takes time it actually takes time and i know it sounds silly because i mean it should be trivial but you know i mean it takes time to go out and find it and then call and decide well i mean that's far too trivial or you know that's not trivial enough right um and then there, you know, there are the things like with the documents and going through those and, and finding the artwork that goes with each episode. Yeah. That's all John. And then, or almost all John. Yep. And then editing is all me. Yeah. And so, I mean, we're both, it's a stack of time. So, yeah. But, you know, you got 20 bucks, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> we can have this conversation again. Jeff, you and 50,000 of your closest friends can, uh, can cough up. <laughs> we'll do a Kickstarter thing. Right. right. More than no, one episode actually, of Mission Log per week. Uh, we need right. 100,000 something. Right. Hey, but speaking of uh, City on the Edge of Forever, and hopefully you've gone back and listened to that now, that, that is something about the process of our show is that we record anywhere from two to four episodes ahead, and then the feedback comes in, and then we record a supplemental so in something like this, you may hear us reference things that, that may feel a little bit older, but hopefully topically they're still current, you know? 
Um, we were talking about an episode that we did three or four or five or more episodes ago. Uh, but the idea is that uh, Mission Log is designed as a conversation. You know, we, we want the ideas to keep coming in. We want to keep talking about the episodes. Uh, and that's why Mission Log is designed specifically to not be timely uh, to a specific day or a specific year. Now, in a supplemental, we can do that all we want. We, we can, like you just said, 2013. We, we called it out. and We said the year and what time of year it is. Yeah. That's okay. My question is, who would win in a fight? Jabba the Hutt or R2-D2? Okay, thanks. Well, I think the answer is obvious. Uh, it is the Enterprise would win in a battle between R2-D2 and Jabba <laughs> the Hutt. <laughs> oh, really? You're going to do that? Because I, yeah. I was actually thinking about the question. Oh, no, you know, I, I do have an answer to the question. All right. And, and I think for me, the obvious answer is R2-D2 because uh, R2-D2 has uh, a lot of friends who will help him out. Mm-hmm. Um, R2-D2 is nimble. He, he can kind of get around okay on his own. Uh, Jabba the Hutt can't move too fast and he's got stubby little T-Rex hands. Uh, so he, he can't really manipulate machinery or weaponry in a way that R2 could if he needed to. Except you got to figure he was able to at one point because he has amassed a criminal empire. I mean, think about in The Godfather, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Vito Corleone, by the end, he he can't. I mean, he can't run. He can't get away from the guys with the guns. But he killed the Black Hand initially. So mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would say it depends. Is Jabba at his fighting weight, or are we talking about old fat Jabba the Hutt that we get to know in I, I, I Return of the Jedi? I think it's Jabba as we know him, and okay. that is uh, old fat Jabba. And even Jabba being uh, uh, the the head of a crime syndicate as he is, yeah. um, even if he dispatched somebody to kill R2, right. they would get to R2 and they'd realize that he was so cute that they couldn't bring yeah. themselves to do no, it. You're a crazy person. I mean, I, I think I think, <laughs> I think if, you, if you're just talking about uh, uh, R2-D2 and Jabba the Hutt in a room... Mm-hmm. Nothing else, just you know, mono a mono, or mm-hmm. you know, hut a droid. Mm-hmm. Um, then R two wins, and he can do that just you know, just just by you know, attrition. Mm-hmm. Job is eventually going to die, and R two is not going to die. So I mean, he just gets to win that way. Plus, he's got like a saw in there, and he's got like that thing that can shock people, and you know, he's got all kinds of different things that he can do. Well, and right. if we learned anything from the prequels, we learned that now uh, R2 has jetpacks, well, so he can fly no, around. He apparently lost those at some point, though, because he never flies. Oh, in, yeah, and in, not uh, anymore. Four, five, yeah. and six. I wonder if he'll yeah, fly yeah. in seven, eight, and nine. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I know. It's, it's a bit much to think about. Um, if, however, we're talking about the world that you're talking about, where R2 has lots of friends, yeah, mm-hmm. Jabba mm-hmm. has lots of henchmen. I don't think the Gamorrean guards with their giant axes are going to be, you know, that that taken with how cute R two D two is. So I, I think, know, or 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 you know, Jabba could even just get R two right in front of him and then open up the pit of, uh, you know, to to go down to the uh, the rancor monster. I oh, think yeah. just the drop alone, assuming that his jetpacks aren't working in the time of Jedi, just the drop alone should kill R two. And if it doesn't, then the rancor can just come out, you know, pick him up, bash him against the wall a couple of times, and be done. <laughs> I still say the true winner here is the Enterprise. Yeah, well, you're probably right. Now, the real question that I have, and this is an important question, and this may actually be an important question with the whole, you know, we're getting new movies thing. Mm -hmm. Who wins in a fight between Boba Fett and the Pit of the Sarlacc? (laughs) And I think we all know the answer is the Enterprise. No. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Boba Fett. I I never understood. It's like, okay, so – He's the world's baddest, um, you know, bounty hunter. Mm-hmm. He's got guns and he's got grappling hooks and he's got a jetpack for crying out loud versus a pit. Yeah. Okay. Let me I think uh, they even uh, did. <laughs> no, go ahead. <laughs> did, didn't they let him die with a Wilhelm scream? Well, we don't know if he's dead, but he, he fell down with a Wilhelm scream. Yeah. At that point, it was where uh, it was where uh, George Lucas was turning uh, too cute for anybody's good because we actually yeah. hear the pit of the sarlacc which takes a thousand years to digest something right it takes a thousand years to digest we hear the pit of the sarlacc burp yeah, yeah that's really that's really bad now there was a bounty hunter novel mm-hmm. and yeah i oh yeah i've read some star star wars novels absolutely <laughs> i've read some star trek novels too we're not talking about them here but oh yeah i've done that yeah. 
Um, they actually did a novel about Boba Fett where he comes out of the pit of the Sarlacc. I didn't read the whole thing. I was just like, okay, well, of course he came out of the pit of the Sarlacc. And so, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. good. Let's move on. Speaking of which, let's move on. Hi, Ken and John. I just finished listening to your commentary on The Devil in the Dark and another well-done episode as usual. This is Mike here in Southern Utah. One thing I was kind of surprised that you guys didn't bring up was the meaning behind the title of the episode. I think the, the obvious implication to the viewer coming in is that the devil in the dark is uh, the Florida. But as you go through the episode and you see Spock mind-melding with the Horda, he's the only one who actually uses the word uh, devil. In fact, he, he, he cries it out when he's in, locked in that mind-meld and, and he screams out, devils, strike back, and so forth. And it seems pretty clear to me that the title of the episode is that, or the implication of it, is that it's the humans who are the devil in the dark. That the Horde is the one who's been there for thousands of years or however long they live, and all of a sudden you have these new interlopers who have come in and they're, they're killing, and, and the Horde is only trying to defend itself against these devils. So something I thought uh, maybe you, you'd want to discuss or, or uh, bring up maybe in a supplemental. Other than that, though, great episode. Really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. Looking forward to next week. Mike. Thank you. Um, I think the short answer to your question is a unanimous yes. Yes. <laughs> um, the, the title, The Devil in the Dark, works definitely very well from both perspectives. And uh, I, I think that, sure, from the point of view of the miners, uh, the Horda is the devil in the dark. But from the point of view of the Horda, it's all these tacky people who are wandering around its corridors they are the devil or devils in the dark. And good point. Good good catch that Spock is the one who says devil during that mind meld or devils during that mind meld. Um, I think that that's, you know, just another thing that is the beauty of that episode is that it forces you to look through the eyes of the monster, the evil, you know. I don't remember if we said this during the episode or not, but, you know, the whole, um, you know, the phrase God is in the details. Mm-hmm. You also hear mm-hmm. the devils in the details. I mean, you'll hear them both. Mm. The details, apparently, lots of room for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> right. God is in the details. I mean, it's possible that um, the darkness itself, if you want to say that the darkness represents the lack of understanding between the miners and the Horda, mm-hmm. the, the darkness itself could be the devil. I mean, the devil could be in the lack of understanding between the two. That. And it doesn't necessarily... Blowing my mind. Yeah, I dude. Yeah let's, yeah, let's go back and cut that back in. <laughs> right. <laughs> you want to? And get everybody to listen to it again. It'll be awesome. No, it'll be great. Yeah. No, really listen this time for the extra 15 seconds of stuff. Right. Not right. even like when we all had to sit through Star Wars again. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Hey, uh, Ken, I never thought that I would be in a uh, position where I got to say this uh, about a show that I'm involved in. But um, I do want to let everybody know that we do actually listen to and read all of your comments. But we don't always have time to answer every single one of them personally. I try. I try very hard. And um, and I'm very active in our social media. Uh, so uh, apologies if we haven't gotten to your question. Uh, but we do hear them all. And we also try to kind of consolidate sometimes so if we've hit an answer that may have already answered your question then um you know uh sorry if we didn't give you particularly a shout out i want to pose a question to our audience though okay um here's the thing we we have finished season one of the original series getting into season two and about a year from now we're going to be done with the original series And I would say the most frequently asked question about our show is whether or not we will do the animated series. And I'm here to say unequivocally, yes, we will be covering the animated series. We haven't totally come up with uh, our our plan on how we're going to fit everything in. Um, But we want to stay basically to broadcast or release order. So, Ken, I'm going to propose my idea to the audience and I propose it to you, and then you tell me if you've got a different take on it. And I think we should get feedback from our audience on how we handle the future releases of Mission Log. So here's what I propose. We do 
TOS in its entirety, season one, season two, season three. When we get to the end of that, we go right into the animated series. It's short. It's 22 episodes. Um, maybe we do one or two per mission log, depending on, uh, on what is there for us to cover. Mm-hmm. And then I say we do movies one through six. So we get all of the original cast pretty much out of the way. We get their story out of the way, and we're done with them. Then we go to next gen. Then we do the next gen movies. Then we go to DS9, Voyager, Enterprise. You know, the only difficult part about that, and I'm with you on the whole thing about the animated series, I think Mm -hmm. maybe because people aren't quite as into that, Mm -hmm. maybe we do two episodes per Mm partly so that we can go ahead and get to the movies and get to Next Generation, partly because people aren't necessarily as familiar with it. The one thing I don't know, even though those episodes are shorter, I don't know how much less time they're going to take to do, so probably you and I need to work that through. And Oh, very out. true. Yeah. <laughs> Generations is the thing that, that stymies me. Oh, it doesn't stymie me at all. Well, it does me. <laughs> <laughs> because to me, we're going to go back then, so we're going to, because, okay, so it's taking us about a year to do... Mm-hmm the first three seasons of Star Trek. Right. So it's going to be about another two and a half years. No, longer than that because you've got the movies. It's going to be about another two and a half to three years before we get to the end of Star Trek The Next Generation. Right. And that's where we then do Generations, and then all of a sudden we've got Kirk again. Yeah. And you're fine with that. I'm fine with that because to me, Generations is a next-gen movie with special guest star Captain Kirk. Oh, interesting. Because I actually yeah. see it as sort of, in the movies, I sort of see it as a handoff. Oh, see, I, I, I see um, uh, The Undiscovered Country. Screw it. Has... Let's do it twice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We may have to do that. <laughs> That's a possibility. Or we just, and, we just do the Kirk parts. <laughs> there you are. Right. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So, so these 35 minutes... Of generations. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so I think Scotty was in that. And I want to say Sulu was in it, wasn't he? Yeah, but they're in it for the opening five right. minutes. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So we do those five minutes. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then we do uh, maybe two episodes of uh, Next Gen. And then we do the 35 minutes with Kirk. Okay. And then we do the rest of Next Gen. I love how complicated we're making this. And then we do the second, well, the middle part. <laughs> Yeah, you actually make a good point because Guinan. Yeah, mm. that would just screw everything mm. up. Yeah. I, although I think Guinan screws a lot of stuff up anyway. But hey, and if you get really complicated, we'll uh, we'll go to the final episode of Enterprise, and we'll remove the next gen portions of that and move it up to our next gen. <laughs> oh my god! See, I feel like we've already screwed up by not starting with Enterprise, but you know. But that's just you. Depending on how you look at it and who you ask. <laughs> No, I know well, I know one other person who thinks that, too. Really? But only one, yeah. Okay, all right. Well, I want to know what the rest of our audience has to say. Um, so that, that's the idea. I, I pitch it to you, and you guys let us know. And how can you let us know? Well, you can tell us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. We're reachable there at all three places with the handle Mission Log Pod. You can even call us at 323-522-5641. You can email us at missionlog at roddenberry.com. And please check out our homepage, missionlogpodcast.com. Remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode as we have done here. And as we shall do again. Now leaving Nerdist.com.